0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, A very warm welcome to this Friday edition of Squatbox Europe. These are your headlines. Socks in Asia rising after the White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow strikes a positive tone on a U.S.-China trade deal, saying both sides are, quote, getting close. The U.S. economy is the star. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell tells Congress there's no reason why growth can't continue, but warns risks remain.
1: Look at today's economy. There's nothing that's really booming that that would want to bust, in other words. It's a pretty sustainable picture. I pointed out the, the, the risks, and those are in manufacturing.
2: House Speaker Nancy Pelosi accuses President Trump of admitting to bribery, which he denies as the impeachment probe intensifies. Alibaba says Hong Kong's future is bright despite the ongoing unrest as the Chinese e-commerce giant launches its retail campaign for a $13 billion
3: listing. Plus, it's the battle of the bats versus the fangs. We look at the key issues facing both ahead of CNBC's very own East Tech West in Nanshaw next week.
0: Morning. Good morning,
2: how are you both? Welcome back. Good oh You've got the green and red.
0: Rallying market, falling market. I don't know which way it's going to go, but you've got it covered, ladies.
2: Well, you're in the green too, so oh, it doesn't I? mean oh, you're going this way. Oh, yeah, I'm Tipping the balance <laughs> a little bit.
0: Look, here's a question. What do you say, getting close? We're getting close to a deal. We're close to a deal. How many times have we heard that from A, Mr. Cudlow, B, Mr. Mnuchin, and C, the president himself? I would suggest a lot. I haven't. This is not scientific. I'm being anecdotal. But I think we've been heard things are good. We're getting close. Uh, probably about 5,622 times, yeah? And that's just this week. So, and that's just, <laughs> so how many times can you, ladies and gentlemen, out there in market world, and how many times can you machines, I suppose you should do it like this, shouldn't I, uh, buy the market on the back of we're getting close? Because the algorithm's really that clever that they work on these words, getting close, taking away the tariffs, getting close on the key issues, comprehensive phase one. Every time that gets into the system, hmm. the algos go pop.
2: How many times can we buy this market on the back of the same story? We had a so-called snag about 24 hours ago in the trade talks. So it is on, it's off, it's on, it's off. And going back to the phase one detail, it looks as though we're back to basics about trying to get some technology transfers into the equation as well. This is
0: as old as the hills, right? The boy who cries wolf, you know? Oh, the doom's coming up. Or chicken little, whatever way you want to say it, you know? The fact of the matter is, how many times can you say we're near and the market say, okay, we'll buy it on the back of we're near?
3: I-, I don't know. President Trump even highlighted himself when he spoke in New York earlier this week, saying that back in April, they had essentially agreed everything in principle. And then China decided to call the U.S. administration and pull back on three or four of those key conditions. So he himself is really acknowledging that they've been here before.
0: That's very, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the key points uh, earlier this year, wasn't it? Let's get to the story so you know what's going on. The U.S. and China are, quote, Getting close, I hear you all shout. Yes, getting close to a trade deal, according to the White House economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. Speaking at the Council on Foreign Relations, Mr. Kudlow said, quote, the mood music is pretty good and that President Trump likes what he sees. However, he added that Trump is not quite ready to sign off on a deal. The two sides are at an impasse, though, over tariffs, with China demanding a complete lifting of all duties imposed by the Trump administration, whilst the United States insists on a phased rollback. Now, speaking exclusively to CNBC, China's ambassador to the UK said Beijing is aiming to seal a deal with the US as soon as possible.
4: We are open-minded. We always want to resolve this problem sooner uh, than later. Uh, because we believe it is in the interest uh, uh, not only of China, the interest of the United States, but also in the world. You know, the trade war between China and uh, United States really created a lot of uncertainties and predictabilities. And I think the world is watching. I, I think the, uh, the negotiators of the two countries really have a big duty on their shoulder. I don't think uh, it is the intention of China to wait and see. That is not our position. We want to uh, clinch uh, the agreement uh, as soon as possible.
0: Uh, But that gentleman echoed Beijing's demands that negotiations should conclude with the lifting of all tariffs.
4: I think the tariffs might be one of the very important issues based on my understanding of the negotiations because the trade war started with tariffs and so uh, it should be ended with removing uh, of all tariffs imposed uh, by the other side because it is not in the spirit of free trade. So we do hope that we can uh, clinch the phase one sooner, then we can move on to the phase two and the phase three.
2: It's investors weighing up the the stop-start talks on trade, and it's been a bit of a mixed picture across the region today for the Friday session. Don't forget we had some very weak data out of China as well to contend with this week. So the Chinese market on the backfoot in Shenzhen uh, composite down four tenths of a percent in contrast again, to gains across the rest of the Asian markets. And don't forget again picking up on a record from Wall Street from the S and P 500, the Nikkei 225 bouncing seven tenths of a percent gains for Hong Kong after what has been an incredibly volatile month on the Hong Kong protests we've seen a fairly straight steep decline in recent sessions so just lifting off some of those lows up a quarter of one percent stick
0: karen thank you very much indeed that you almost got me swigging my tea that was so quick um right sunaina sina (laughs) Aldea joins us as well managing partner at sebyl capital as well good morning to you good morning very nice to see you look um what do you think about this and it's the same conundrum which i pointed out earlier Every time we hear the same bit of news, the market wants to rally. And let's face it, we've had another record close on the S&P, albeit it eked out later on as well. Do you have skepticism about the market's blinkered mono monodimensional and very binary view Mm -hmm. of trade talks being the nirvana, not having the trade talks uh, going well is a real problem?
5: I think the markets are definitely pricing that a deal is good for both sides. We've seen that come through in the numbers However, we've seen this rhetoric before, as, as all three of you were mentioning. Uh, the key really lies in the domestic consumer story, which remains quite strong in the U.S. and in China. Mm. So while that U.S. consumer story remains robust, I think the U.S. feels it has more chips to play with recession fears coming out of the market. Before
0: my brilliant and far more uh, educated colleagues and me come in here, I agree with you, by the way. I, I know that doesn't matter because I'm just a lowly presenter, but I've watched the obsession in this country with Brexit mm-hmm. At the same time, are well, actually, I've always been more obsessed by the consumer story, by the consumer debt story as well. we we'll come to debts later on because I've just pulled out the latest AI figures. The point I'm making is the US is a very insular economy. I don't mean that in a bad way. Obviously, it's a very outlooking nation in many ways. But in fact, in terms of companies servicing the US consumer and the US company um, consumer using American companies, there is a large amount. We know that already as well. So does the trade deal matter as much as that story you just mentioned?
5: So far, the tariffs have been absorbed by US importers and by Chinese manufacturers. So the consumer has not felt the the heft of this, right? So when that story changes, it remains to be seen how much elasticity the US consumer has to the trade situation. So that gives the US government a few more chips to bargain with. I think we've seen this before, China coming to the brink of a deal and then pulling back because they don't want to pay the $50 billion of US farm farm goods purchases and so on and so forth. And the US saying, listen, tech transfer, That's all lip service, but what does it mean that you open up the banking industry
2: to us if we can't actually go and do business without you you taking our IP? Can I talk about some nuts and bolts around more tariffs? Because what we've got a key holiday season coming up. But if you think about when some Americans are encouraged to go out and spend, it's around big holidays, late November and even uh, through to early December. Fresh tariffs would come into force around mid-December, around the 15th. And I just wonder whether that has an impact around goods shipped or whether you could just see front-loading to get ahead of any tariffs on key items like mobile phones uh, and other technology devices ahead of Christmas. So in my point is, even if we had the tariffs, will it have an effect on consumption in the States this year?
5: I think this year the cycle is spoken for, right? As you say, there's been a lot of inventory front-loading by... Um, U.S. uh, wholesalers, Walmarts and so on and so forth to try to get ahead of this issue. So I don't think you're going to see a meaningful bump um, either way because of the trade deal happening or not happening as the case may be with tariffs kicking in in this season. But I think we have to think about a more medium term story by medium term, we mean a six to 12 month lag to whatever happens in the coming months. Uh, Suffice to say with factory output slowing in China, China has more impetus to get a deal done. Uh, the question is can they iron out the last few uh, wrinkles? We've been hearing this for six, you know, three to six months now.
3: And you mentioned that the domestic economy in China is holding up pretty well. But yesterday we got a raft of data showing that retail sales, industrial output both grew by less than uh, the market was expecting in October. So are there actually signs of some weakness coming through that the Chinese consumer uh, perhaps isn't as strong as we've been uh, thinking? I think that you've really seen
5: slower growth happening in China, but you've seen a growth slowdown across the board in many economies, but you look at the China Singles Day that happened. Yes, it was a little bit below Jack Ma's expectations, but that was still a $38 billion a day of shopping. I mean, good, good grief. So you're seeing that there's enough in the household balance sheet in China to shore up with a consumption story for a while. When people ask, what do you invest in in China, if not the exporters today? You invest in, apart from tech, which we'll speak about later, you just invest in companies that are focusing on the domestic market. Because the domestic market ain't all that bad, you know. despite some of the numbers that may be leading indicators to a slower growth story. Let
0: me just... Um, can I be a real dullard here? I'm going to go on about this all day, because the IIF data is quite extraordinary. And we'll, we'll look at the specific areas. And you just mentioned the Chinese consumer. The Chinese consumer household debt... I can talk in trillions and billions, but the point is you need to know what percentage this is. So, in the second quarter last year, Chinese household debt was 50.7% of GDP. 50.7%. Okay, it's lowly compared to some of the big Western numbers. It's just gone up four percentage points to 53.8 by the second quarter of this year. That is a precipitous incline still, isn't it?
5: Yes, it's a precipitous incline, but on a relative basis that there's enough in that story to keep consumption going for the next six to 12 months. That there's not gonna be a degradation that's gonna be meaningful enough to show through in the numbers, whether it's manufacturer numbers for the domestic story or the entire GDP uh, in terms of the percentage of expectations we expect in the next year or so.
0: Yeah, no, good point. Uh, and, you know, I said that I'm worried about the UK re- debt rather than um, Brexit. I am worried about Brexit, but I'm more worried about UK debt. Just to put that figure in context, the Chinese figure I just mentioned, 53.8. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon in the UK figure is household debt as a percentage of the GDP? 83%. 80, yeah. 83%. Yeah, Look at well, us. Look at us right, in this hmm. country. Got to stop spending money sooner or later. Mind you, don't tell that to the political parties. So, Naina, we'll come back to you a little bit later yeah. on as well. Have you seen what they're spending
3: money on? Well, I'm going
0: to get free everything. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, no, hang on a second. I've got, someone's got to pay for it. Anyway,
3: carry on. <laughs> <That would be laughs> not quite free. Uh, well, look forward to more chat uh, on Brexit spending, but also on China, the trade war, and tech when we're live from Nanshan next week for CNBC's very own East Tech West. Don't miss our special coverage coming up.
0: And ahead, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, says the U.S. economy is on a sustainable path, but concerns remain over a rise in government debt. Yeah, more after the break.
3: Oh, and if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more.
2: A mixed finish for the major averages on Wall Street, another Patrick green for the S&P 500. That was a record 3,096 uh, on the finish. And towards the session highs is what we had on markets as investors weigh up very mixed messages on just where we are in a phase one trade deal with investors uh, waking up to news that there'd been a snag in those negotiations for then Larry Kudlow to talk about uh, some progress and getting towards the end of that road on, on a deal. So what uh, the market was doing was a little bit of a choppy uh, trade in, in session. Also, don't forget the impact of a number of big corporates, Cisco, Walmart, just uh, minimizing some of that excitement on Wall Street as you had some weak numbers to digest. If we look at the averages, though, over the course of this week, if we, if we cast our eye back of what's transpired, again, more weekly gains as the Dow has been up about four weeks in a row on course for those gains. The S&P for a longer stretch, six weeks. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq, about seven weeks so far in a row. Let's just take a look at uh, what's taking place on Treasury markets. A lot of commentary again from Jay Powell talking about the risk of ballooning debt and what fiscal policy room that leaves in a downturn. That was one to weigh up for a lot of investors. Uh, but you did see uh, response to, to some of those trade talks. And uh, particularly on the 10-year, I should say, 1.84. We lifted off the 1.81 uh, level that we had on that side on the two-year Reassuring comments from Jay Powell about whether there is a potential for an economic downturn. Some of that he pushed back against. And you can see uh, the two-year 1.6 is what we've got on the charts. Uh, That's a lifting from a 1.59 level we had. The dollar. A quick look at that trade this morning and how we're shaping up with some majors. Dollar climbing versus the safe haven Japanese yen, 108.58 on the boards. Weaker versus the yuan. You can also see losing uh, a little bit more steam. A moment ago to the euro, but uh, now on the flat line, sterling is on the back. Foot 128.76, just down a fraction versus the dollar. Opening calls here in Europe this morning as we get set up for trade. A couple of green patches across the markets, which uh, had a bit of a tough time getting through some of the data yesterday. The German economy avoiding a technical recession, but barely any growth to speak of in the latest quarter, just 0.1% of a percent. So slightly challenging backdrop also with the trade optimism fading at 1.2 during our trading session. 139
3: points to the downside, though, for Italian stocks. Looks a little bit out of kilter with the rest of them. Julia. Well, as Karen had just mentioned there, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has backed the health of the U.S. economy in his second day of testimony to Congress. Powell said the economy is on a steady path despite risks stemming from trade uncertainty and slowing global growth. He added that the economy has not shown signs of overheating and is not in danger of going, quote, bust."
1: this expansion is, is on a sustainable footing and that we don't see the kind of uh, 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 warning signs that, w- that, that appear uh, in other cycles yet. And of course, uh, you, never, you never really know, but, uh, but I would say we're, we watch these things very carefully and that's what we're seeing now.
3: But Powell flagged concerns over an increase in the U.S. government's debt pile.
1: I remain concerned that high and rising federal debt can, in the longer term, Restrain private investment, and thereby reduce productivity and overall economic growth. Putting the Federal budget on a sustainable path would aid the long term vigor of the U.S. economy and help ensure that policymakers have the space to use fiscal policy to assist in stabilizing the economy if it weakens.
0: Remind me, what was the level that Reinhardt and Rogoff talked about as uh, unsustainable beyond a certain point? It was 90% debt to GDP, wasn't it? The US, according to the latest figure, 100.5% debt to GDP in the second quarter. Just uh, on the back of what Mr. Powell was just saying. Yeah, here we go. Then global debt spiked to a record $250.9 trillion in the first half of 2019, mainly driven by high levels of borrowing in the US and China. That's according to a new study from the Institute of International Finance, which added that it expects global debt to rise to 250 trillion. Want to hear that number again? $255 trillion by the end of uh, the year. The IAF also warned that the large debt pile could, quote, pose challenges as global growth slows as well. Now, this is the bit where a lot of you there can go and make a cup of tea or coffee, or you can put your hands over your ears and go, la, 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 because you don't care, because it doesn't matter how many times I tell you that this is a problem. But there you go. For the rest of us, let's just carry on. Uh, Sunaina Sina-Haldea is Managing Partner at Sibyl Capital as well. What I thought was interesting as well is the, this report is trying to say, look, unless you get the and pointing out the relationship between debt and growth, and unless you get the growth, one of the ways that people can solve this problem is inflating their way out of their debt pile. I mean, you can grow your way out of it as well. We're not seeing the growth, but we are seeing the increase in debt. Is this a problem or am I just talking absolute rubbish and half our viewers are screaming at me at the camera?
5: What's interesting is that the old economic cycle, and I call it the old economic cycle because we haven't seen it in a while, where rising inflation would slow down the business cycle has not been seen for some time now. What is causing recessions in the last few cycle turns is a financially spiked recession. Right. A financial bubble bursting somewhere. We saw that in 2008. We have risks of that in other parts. So I think it's interesting when Powell says that well, we don't see risks to the economy. He's talking about the old model where you would see the cycle turning because of wage growth and wage and tightening of the labor Just markets.
0: Just that point, though, that there is wage growth in the United States. There are labor cost increases. And it was a piece of data that we looked at last yes. week, and it was a forehandle. And I can't remember the exact numbers, so I yes. apologize. But there was some BLS data. Uh, and the the wage cost, total labor costs are up over 4%. That, for me, looks like a dusting off of the Phillips curve.
5: Yes. However, you're not seeing that come through into where central banks have been trained to look, which is inflation numbers. Mm-hmm. With tepid inflation numbers, this is where the inflation of the debt becomes an issue. Because where is that liquidity going? That has to go and find itself into the markets. Right. And which markets are getting bubbly and therefore overheated and could cause the next recession mm-hmm. – because of a financial market dislocation. Why
0: don't you answer your own question?
5: Leverage finance is somewhere. <laughs> People are now looking more and yeah. more. I work in private equity. We've seen the boom and availability of credit spark and valuation um, overheating in many, many parts of the, uh, of the world and in industries and sectors that are unprecedented. We've seen that in tech, for example. So one has to watch where these financial bubbles may burst. I'm looking at leverage finance in particular to seeing when that starts tightening as to when the ty- cycle may turn using those. Can numbers.
2: I just break down those numbers? Because I think when people hear a trillion dollar number, they just think it's not relevant for their world. Sure,
0: that's I gave some percentages of but, GDP. But the,
2: no, <laughs> percentages as well. The number, if you break it down per head per, yeah. per, across the population, oh, yeah. $70,000 is what the debt level is in the United States now. If you think of the average earnings per year, roughly $62,000. So the debt level per person is higher than the average. That's every retiree, that's
0: every child. That's not just the people between twenty five and fifty who are working.
2: And growing. So it's not as though we're tackling the issue. Which gets to the end game, what do we do? Debt write-off, surely. Isn't that the equation? We get a debt write-off at some point in, a, in another crisis. There's no solution if you can't add you more on title You
0: sovereign debt in, in A rated You can't write it off in the US. You can't write it off in the UK. You can write it off in Argentina, because every 10 years people forget that they wrote it off last okay. time round. There are parts of the world where you, you can.
2: You triple not lose AAA before and, and still have a reserve currency. Yeah, but losing AAA can.
0: and AA plus kind of thing, is like everyone still can own the stuff. But, and, if and everybody, we'll the stuff but this is the thing,
5: well.
2: if everybody does it, is it different?
5: Well, you can inflate it away. That's always the option of a fallback resort. But the question is, can you grow your way out of it? Can you use this debt to spur uh, consumption story and make sure that that consumption story continues to ride the wave and see if you can spur growth and get, get it back that way? Now, it's a with this type of overhang, it's a long-term issue. right? It's what, what Jerome Powell and others are saying, that is, we're not going to see it come to a head this year or next year. So the question is, when does it come to a head? Somebody's going to end up paying this bill.
3: <laughs> it, it may, may not be us in this cycle. risk, I Correct? think, which is uh, <laughs> quite interesting. That's I, think right. the, I think the other question is that to what extent Jerome Powell and the Fed is responsible for breeding inequality in the United States, given that a lot of the central bank's policies have just continued to fuel asset price uh, appreciation, but hasn't actually filtered through to the broader economy. That's that's the problem with this cycle: is that it's 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 fueling
5: the financial markets, which is not coming down to the 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 human being on the street. And what we're seeing now is this incredible retrenchment back to a nationalistic authoritarian regimes all over the world, developing and developed. And that's the danger here. Oh, you've
0: just gone DEFCON there. <laughs> I have. fueling <laughs> <Purely laughs> nationalistic authoritarian regimes. I started off on debt. You went to the full, the full dictatorship answer. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Wow, you went. You're just trying to out-defcon me on debt, aren't you? I didn't go there because I thought I didn't think of that. I didn't think it was
3: possible, Steve, to, to out-defcon you on no. debt.
2: Just
4: did it.
3: So <laughs> let's push on to something else. Yeah. Impeachment. Quote the
2: devastating testimony, corroborated evidence of bribery. Those were the cutting words of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at her first press conference since impeachment hearings <laughs> against President Trump began in Washington DC. NBC's Alice Barr has more.
6: The first round of public impeachment hearings is in the books.
1: We are adjourned.
6: But who won the day depends on who you ask.
3: The devastating testimony corroborated evidence of bribery. There's nothing compelling. There's nothing overwhelming.
6: Democrats focusing on a surprise revelation. Ambassador William Taylor testified a staff member overheard President Trump pushing for Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden during a phone call with Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland and that Sondland told the staffer.
4: President Trump
1: cares more about the investigations of Biden.
4: It's just further confirmation that what the president wanted above all else was getting those investigations on a potential opponent in 2020.
6: Ambassador Sondland will face questions about that newly revealed call and whether military aid to Ukraine was delayed as part of a quid pro quo. His public hearing set for next week, answering Republican complaints that other witnesses didn't speak directly to President Trump. Hearsay seems to be the basics of most of these allegations. Though the Trump administration has blocked testimony from those closest to the president, politicians and the public will hear tomorrow from the ousted U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, who testified behind closed doors that she believes she was the target of a smear campaign by the president's allies and felt threatened by the president's comments about her. With both sides campaigning for public opinion, President Trump tweeting today, regular people watching this won't see a reason to impeach him. Lawmakers are also set to hear from Ambassador Taylor's staff member who overheard that newly revealed call. He's scheduled for a closed door deposition tomorrow. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News.